following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, that name, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God with us, He came to dwell with us to tabernacle with us, to live with us, to speak to us, and to live within us. And that is the name that we worship today. He was the Word. He was the living Word. His Word is alive. His Word is powerful. And that's what the Bible says of itself. The Word of God. It's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God, it cuts to the heart of the matter. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, that's what it was all about. They opened up God's Word, and they read it from sun up to sundown. The people stood when God's Word was read, and guess what it did? It brought conviction in their hearts. They were back home where they needed to be, where they wanted to be, where they should be all along. And when God's word was faithfully proclaimed, people responded to it. The Bible, Adrian Rogers used to always say that the Bible uh, is not a book that we read, but the Bible is a book that reads us. Hebrews 4.12 is where that verse is actually found out. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I can't tell you how many times... I've opened up my Bible. I've been going through an issue. I've been struggling with something, and God will speak to me on that very matter and and lead me to study deeper and deeper about it. I can't tell you how many times I've been to prepare a sermon on something else and and maybe just going through my daily ritual, my my daily uh, schedule of reading the Bible. In a Bible reading plan, it may be a devotional that I'm using. But right now we're going through... Uh, the Bible chronologically, we started that at the first of the year. We offered Bibles. Uh, there's still a couple of them. You can still get in on this. Uh, it's just a, something that I do every other year, year anyway. I read through the Bible cover to cover in a year. And so I said, well, this year, let's do it all together. We found some that we offered. Uh, it's chronological. It's the New Living Translation. We're going to explore a different translation. And just like always, as we begin getting ready uh, to study our spiritual gifts as I began preparing the sermon this morning in Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be at in our passage. Um, I was a little bit behind last week. I didn't read last Sundays, but I started it on Monday morning as I began preparing for today's message on being a living sacrifice. I said, well, let me go back on Sunday's reading and see what it has to say and get caught up. So as I began reading and preparing for Romans chapter 12, all about spiritual gifts, uh, the date that I was catching up on was, guess what day it was? February the 12th. Imagine that. The number 12 seems to be creating a common thread here. And then uh, February the 12th, getting ready to study for Romans chapter 12, Guess what it was all about? It was all about God's people bringing their sacrifices to Moses for the construction of the first tabernacle. What a coincidence. How about that? We studied Ephesians chapter 4 to introduce uh, 
uh, spiritual gifts. We're in Romans chapter 12 today. I told you another place where you can see spiritual gifts is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So that number seems to be striking a chord. Well, on February the 12th, here's what it has to say about what the people brought to Moses. And we're probably going to go back and study this passage a little bit more next week as we continue studying about spiritual gifts. So it happens in Exodus chapter 35, verse 29. It says, so the people of Israel, and Israel here is an Old Testament representation of the New Testament church, basically. It's creating a picture here. It says, so the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord, had given them through Moses, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to the Lord. So I thought that was very unique that these people were bringing their sacrifices, their offerings as a gift. They were bringing them freely. And it lists all of the gifts that they gave. It lists all of the gifts that they brought. Some were very, very significant. Some of them were very specific. Some of them uh, maybe not so. But they were all very important in constructing the first tabernacle there in the wilderness as God instructed Moses. So I thought that was pretty neat, uh, neat the way God coordinated that. I, I didn't know where the Bible reading plan would fall at this time. I didn't know how my uh, sermon series on spiritual gifts would fall and where we would be at. But today's uh, lesson, today's topic is all about your reasonable service. And it talks about being a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12. Now, as I begin thinking about that, we talked about this a lot last week. You know, some people will discover their spiritual gifts. They'll implement them. Some of them will be very, very visible and very noticeable. Some of them, you may never see the person doing the work. You may never see what they actually do. You may never see the full result of it. But it's important that each and every one of us, as a body of believers finds out what our spiritual gifts is and implements it for the work here in the body to make a stronger body. That's the name of the sermon series is a stronger body. And so as I begin to think about our spiritual gifts and how they would be implemented, how it relates to that sacrifice and what everybody brought uh, to the tabernacle for Moses, how they used them, how they incorporated them, and God gifted other people to assemble all of those gifts together to make the first place of worship out there in the desert. I thought it was real neat how all of that just came together. And it was stuff that they had gotten from a secular background. The Egyptians blessed them on their way out and gave them all of these gifts that they would eventually dedicate to the Lord in the building of the tabernacle. And so for you, your spiritual gift, uh, it may be a greater sacrifice than someone else's. It may be more uh, vital to the life here of our church. It may require more of a sacrifice than some of the others. So I began thinking about that. What kind of an analogy could I use at differing sacrifices, different degrees of sacrifices? So you've heard me say before that one of my favorite buffets around here is to go to Shoney's on Sundays because you get, what, all-you-can-eat bacon. (laughs) How can you pass that up? I mean, that's worth... Uh, It's weight in gold right there. And so I began thinking about that in terms of breakfast. You know, for a breakfast like this, many of you have uh, bacon and eggs for breakfast. Both were a sacrifice given by an animal to a different degree. 
But they both work together to make a good, hearty breakfast that lasts for a long, long time during the day. It's very tasty, the, the taste together. Look, as I was frying this bacon last night, it, it didn't stay on the plate very long, I promise you. <laughs> we had scrambled eggs. I don't do fried eggs. These are uh, my best shot at doing some uh, over easy. I think they came out pretty good. I didn't ever try them. But of these two animals that provided elements for this breakfast, which one would you say gave the greatest sacrifice? The pig is no longer with us. The chicken may be, but the chicken gave us something that would have been a chicken eventually. Could have been if the egg would have So that was a sacrifice in and of itself because it took four animals to make the eggs, whereas it only took one animal to make the bacon. The pig definitely laid his life down as a sacrifice. A portion of him was given for the bacon. Other portions went to other places. So could you really say that the pig was more of a sacrifice than the chicken? The chicken will produce more eggs, but there were three other chickens or future chickens that had to give their life up for this meal. So that's just something I want you to think about as we enter into uh, what I call part two of our series of spiritual gifts. Uh, if you open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12 and stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at four specific things that we can draw from this passage as we look to make a stronger body and as we talked this morning about your reasonable service. The Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren. In other words, I plead with you, I beg of you, I implore you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let this world shape you into its mold. God has a different mold for you as a believer. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And here's where he gets into the part about spiritual gifts. He mentions several in particular. For I say, though, the grace of God, uh, for I say through the grace of God given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Think about the chicken and the pig for this breakfast that I just showed you. So we being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. That alone right there is your reasonable service. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching... He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. 
He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. I find it very interesting that he mentions that there because when we get into the passage in 1 Corinthians 12, it is followed with a passage that is all about love. And he says, if you put everything that you got into your service, but you, if you don't have love, it means absolutely nothing. He mentions it here in Romans 12 as well. He says, to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. Let's end right there and thank the Lord for his word. Father God, we thank you uh, for spiritual gifts. We thank you for those who have already discovered and have um, applied their spiritual gifts here in the body of Christ and elsewhere throughout the world, Lord God, as we look to the greater body as well. We thank you for your word here, Lord God, and what we're going to learn through it. And I just pray that you'll guide uh, this sermon, Lord God, speak through me. Help me to say the things that I need to say and to not say the things that I don't need to say. But I pray most of all, Lord God, that this me message would not fall on deaf ears. But we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. But most importantly, Lord God, if there is anyone here who is not a member of your body, who is not a member of this body, those who you are calling to be a member of your body, I pray that they would respond as well, Lord God, that they would know that you want them to be a part of what you're doing and that you want to save them and you want to include them and equip them and prepare them for what lies ahead in their lives. And we just ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So there's probably many of you who are wanting specific definitions for each and every spiritual gift. Some of them you're more interested in than others. Let me just say, I, I don't know that I'm going to clearly define every specific spiritual gift in this study that we're going to do. My, my motive basically is to motivate you to research on your own, to do this survey that I'm recommending to you. If you're not serving already, find out what it is that God wants you to do how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus, how you can help to make a stronger body here at First Baptist Church and a stronger body in uh, the universal church, God's body all throughout this world. He may be calling you into some deeper service, maybe a missionary somewhere around the world. Or maybe he's just calling you to come up here every now and then to clean a room, move some chairs. Scrub a toilet, whatever the case may be. He may be calling you to use your gifts and talents in our musical ministry. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but my job right now through this study is to encourage you to move deeper and deeper in your search to apply your spiritual gift in some manner. You may be effectively serving in one role, and you may discover somewhere along the way, I'm serving in a capacity that I shouldn't be. My, my spiritual gift is way over here, but I'm busy doing this right here. I, I need to move into where, you, you know, you can't make the square peg fit in a round hole. It just doesn't work like that. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to have clarity on these spiritual gifts. And I think there's four things that we can point out in this study that we're looking at 
as we talk about our reasonable service of imploring, exploring, and applying our spiritual gifts. Number one, I want you to see that your spiritual gifts should be applied sacrificially. He opens up in verse one by saying, I want your body to be a living sacrifice. What are you willing to lay down? What does being a living sacrifice really mean? A sacrifice is intentional. I, I know that much about a, a sacrifice. It is done with intentionality. It means that I am laying my life down for the benefit of someone or something else. Not expecting anything in return. Those people of Israel that I talked about. When they brought their sacrifice before Moses, they were doing it for a greater good. And they said, you know what? I'm never going to get that back again, but I'm going to get to see it used in God's kingdom. And it was an expression of a commitment as well. They were saying to Moses, we believe that you are the man of God who is leading us. We believe that God has spoken to you about building a tabernacle. And we want our offering here to be a sacrifice. And so now as you implement your spiritual gift, you're saying, whatever it is, however it is, if you can use it, I'm bringing it to you for a greater good here at our church. So Jesus Christ said this, Jesus Christ said of himself that he came to serve and not be served. And if you think about the sacrifice that he gave, it was much, much more than that. He taught the disciples about what it meant to serve others with their lives. On the night before he died, what did he do? He took a, an apron and he strapped it on. He took a pitcher of water and a basin and he got down and he served the disciples by washing their feet. And he said, you know what? There's nobody so high that they can't stoop down and serve one another. His life represented a living sacrifice because he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And he became that one-time sacrifice. He modeled for the disciples what it meant. He set a pattern for them that all of the disciples, all of the apostles, except for one, and that was Judas Iscariot, would follow that model that he set and they would lay their life down for the kingdom of God and eventually die serving the Lord. Jesus spoke of this type of a sacrificial living with several parables. He said there, there are some who know how to give. Their gift is giving. They know what it means to sacrifice. We'll, we'll look at some of those parables along the way. But, but one place he emphasized the act of sacrifice and the act of offering and how great it is the story of a little old widow and two mites that she gave as an offering. In Mark, the book of Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus tells this. He says, there's a little old lady here that has given way more than anybody else has given. He said, these rich guys that are coming in that are just dropping a lot of change that you hear as it hits the offering box, he says, that's not a sacrifice to them. He said, they're giving out of their abundance. It said that when he sat down opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much, then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. 
So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Because she saw that as her reasonable service. She said, I don't have much to give. It's insignificant compared to the offering that these other guys give, but if it will benefit God's kingdom, here is all I have to offer. So your reasonable service is not to measure it. It's not to say how valuable is it. Your reasonable service is not to put a dollar sign on it or a price tag on it. But you're to say, I am going to give everything that I have. That's what a living sacrifice is. It's saying, I'm going to give all that I got. I'm going to lay it on the line and I'm going to lay it down for the Lord to use. And I'm not expecting anything in return for it. To apply your spiritual gifts sacrificially doesn't necessarily mean that you have served in a greater capacity than someone else. But that you served in a way where you are fully applying what you know to be what God has blessed you with. Point number two, your spiritual gifts should be applied discreetly as well, as much as possible. Don't flaunt it in front of others. Don't brag about it. Don't wear it as a badge of honor. In verse three, he talks about that very thing. He says, for I say, Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not not think of himself. What is Paul actually trying to say here? He's saying not necessarily of his place in society or what level he's on. Not to think of himself in that manner. But how he views his importance and ability as it is applied to the local congregation. He says, here in this congregation, where you're at, where God has placed you at, don't think of yourself more highly than any others. Literally, he is saying, do not overestimate yourself. I have to remind myself of this all the time. I have to constantly ask myself, why would God choose me? Why would God allow me to be a part of his kingdom building process? And God reminds me of this all the time. Tracy, I can do it with you or I can do it without you. If you don't do it, I'm going to find somebody else that will. And when you think of yourself so highly that you think that you are important, God will say, you know what? I I can get it done without you. God will say, "You you know what? I made this entire universe without you. I really don't need you to get that project done. But I am allowing you the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself. He says, don't let that go to your head. Stay humble. Stay obedient. And whatever you do, however you apply your spiritual gift, do it as discreetly as possible. We discussed last week about the assignments that Nehemiah gave to everyone that was involved In the wall building project. There was one gate I pointed out in particular. What was it? The dung gate. The refuse gate. It was a place where they would haul all of the sewage out. All the trash. All of the rubbish from the city. 
It seems like it wouldn't be very important. It seems like it would be a job that nobody would want. But I'll tell you what, if that gate was to not work properly and the sewage starts backing up, <laughs> it becomes important then. Or even worse, when the enemy comes to attack and those gates can't close, it's an open door for the enemy to come in. So in that aspect, that one was just as important as the other. Accomplishing their assigned section to the best of their ability was essential for completing the task in a timely and quality manner. The thing about it is in that whole project, nobody bragged about the assignment they got. Nobody bragged about being completed. It wasn't a race. It wasn't a competition. It was all about getting the job done, staying humble, knowing that you have one assignment and you're going to do it to the best of your ability. So here's the thing that Paul is trying to implore his readers to avoid. He said, don't be proud. Don't be so built up with pride. Don't think that just because you have a a spiritual gift that seems to be more elevated, more noticeable than any others, do it discreetly as best as possible. Do it as humbly as much as possible. Don't let pride set in once you find out what your spiritual gift is and just how important it is to the overall impact of the work here in the body of Christ. So here's the thing about pride. It's pride that will keep many from actually using their spiritual gift. When pride sets in, you say, you know what? I think I'm okay with this. I can do it. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need any guidance. I don't need any direction. I'm just going to sit here and do my job on my own, do my own thing. That's not how the body works. Your human body, that's not how it works. And the body of believers here is not how it works. That's not how it worked in the days of Nehemiah. And Paul is saying here, that's not how it's going to work in the body of Christ when you implore and apply your spiritual gift. Pride in the life of a believer can be devastating. Pride in a conversation can be devastating as well because it sets in and it infects the entire body. Your gifts should be applied sacrificially and your gifts should be applied as discreetly as possible. And here's the thing about pride as well. We, We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Pride can lead to an unrepentant heart. Pride can lead to a calloused heart. And if you're sitting there with pride saying, you know what, I don't want to be involved in church activity. I'm fine on my own. I don't need a body of believers to help me. I don't need to repent of my sin. I'm okay in my own eyes. Your heart starts becoming calloused. And that's what pride leads to. It leads to callousness. It leads to cold worship. And we find out that in Nehemiah's day, chapter 9, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, when that pride was removed, they started letting the Word of God soak in. They started responding to what the Word of God was saying. 
God's word started penetrating that callous heart. And what happened? Revival broke out. And so when we start exploring our spiritual gifts and we start living our lives as that sacrifice, that living sacrifice, and we start giving of ourselves sacrificially and that callousness starts to soften up, we start responding to what we're seeing in God's word and we start actively using our spiritual gifts. All that pride starts to dissolve and things start working the way that they should. Next, we see that Paul points out that your spiritual gifts should be applied effectively. When you start giving sacrificially, when you start serving sacrificially, when you start serving discreetly, when you discover your spiritual gift and God shows you exactly what it is that he brought you here to be a part of, you do it with the best of your ability. You find out what your niche is, You find out where you're to be serving. You find out who you're supposed to be serving. You find out what group you're supposed to be involved in. And you do it with all of your heart. You do it as effectively as you possibly can. In in order to apply it effectively, first of all, you need to be able to identify it properly. And he lists several things there. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he lists them one by one. If your gift is prophecy, he doesn't say let us teach. He says let us prophesy. You stick with that. You stay with that. You do it as effectively as you possibly can. You start getting as much information as you can about the gift of prophecy. How was it used in the Bible? How can I use it today? He says if you're to minister, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, if God has called you to be a teacher, a Sunday school class, a small group, a discipleship group, a cell group, whatever it is you want to call it, you find out what's the best teaching method that I could use. For whatever age level he's calling me to teach in, whether it's children's ministry, teenagers, senior adults, Whatever the case may be, I I, I got to learn what the best teaching method is and do that as effectively as possible. I I love to use the visual aids. I think that is a very effective teaching method. Some of you are hungry for bacon and eggs already, aren't you? (laughs) Some of you are still wondering, you know, which one did uh, give the best, the, the biggest sacrifice? Was it the chicken or was it the pig? And you'll think about that every time you go to the grocery store now. My thing is, I was thinking, man, that's about a $20 plate of food I got right there between the bacon and the eggs. In today's market, three eggs, what's that? That's about like filet mignon, isn't it? (laughs) But whatever the method is that you teach, whatever God has called you to do, he lists several other uh, exhortation, leadership. All of those things, he says, you find out what it, you don't try to do somebody else's job. You don't try to tell someone else how to implore their spiritual gift or how to do their spiritual gift. Unless you're a teacher, of course, and you teach them how to use their spiritual gifts. But he says, if God has called you into the administration, you, you don't go about and tell each other, uh, all the others how to do their job. 
Exhortation. I, I, I want you to notice one thing about exhortation. It's mentioned several times, not only here in the list of spiritual gifts, encouragement. Some people are natural encouragers. Have you ever noticed that? It don't matter whether you've done a terrible job or a great job. They're going to say, you know what? Great job. <laughs> you did wonderful. I, I, I see God doing something in your life that I've never seen before. My friend Robbie that was here uh, during revival, that, that was his catchphrase. Man, he was a natural encourager because it didn't matter how good we sounded in choir practice or how bad we sounded. He was always saying, good job, good job, good job. He was just glad that you were here participating and pursuing and trying to make better of yourself. Well, one thing I want you to notice is God doesn't give anybody the ministry of discouragement. Amen? He says you need to be an encourager in all that you do. But some people just have the natural ability of encouraging others. Being there, cheering them on. I'm on my soapbox now. Because this is real, real important in the days ahead and the weeks ahead and what goes on. Some people think that their spiritual gift is a gift of discouragement. There are a lot of people who just have a way of being negative. Are you a pessimist or are you an optimist? Do you cast a good message over a project or are you the one that always speaks negatively about something as soon as it's mentioned? Do you cast doubt or do you cast hope? In our study of the book of Acts on Wednesday nights, the first person that they coupled up the apostle Paul with to go on his missionary journey was a man by the name of Barnabas meaning the son of encouragement. They knew that Paul would need that extra encouragement as he embarked on his journey. And let me just say this. You don't hear this from me too often. You don't see this side of me very often. But if I hear of someone coming into the church, trying to find their place, trying to find their position, trying to find their spiritual gift, and if I discover that someone has said some discouraging words to them that have hurt them, we're going to have a discussion about that. It's not going to be pretty either because we just don't need that in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. We are all to use our words to build life into others. Whether your spiritual gift is a direct gift of encouragement or not, if you can't speak a kind word to someone and encourage them. Now there is such a thing as constructive criticism. Don't I get my fair share of constructive criticism. <laughs> I promise you. There's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. But the gift of encouragement he lists here as a very specific spiritual gift. That doesn't mean that not everyone can do it, but he says that there are some people who are natural encouragers. He says, if you are one of those people, if you are one who exhorts, then you do it to the best of your ability. Whatever the case may be, so do your spiritual gift as effectively as 
possible. The first step to doing your spiritual gift as effectively as possible is being able to identify a spiritual gift. So on the back of your outline, I don't know if you've ever tried to identify someone else's spiritual gift or your own spiritual gift or how quickly you can pick up on those. In our chronological Bible, we're studying about the book of Moses and the children of Israel. Let's do a quick character profile on Moses. I think you probably know about him to know his role, what he did. And on the back of your outline are the specific spiritual gifts that are listed here in Romans chapter 12. Let's just go through that and see if we can identify real quickly maybe what Moses' spiritual gift or gifts was. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, hospitality. Was his gift the gift of prophecy? I would think so. He received a revelation from the Lord and he spoke it to the people. I think you could probably put a check mark by that one for sure. Ministry, service and helps. Moses tried to minister as many people as he possibly could, but his father-in-law Jethro said, you're doing too much. You need to learn how to delegate. Use your gift of administration instead of your gift of ministry, and you'll be a more effective leader. So I, I don't think he was actually given the gift of ministry. He tried to do it, and it didn't work. It wore him out. Teaching, was he a teacher? I would think as a shepherd, he would definitely teach the people how to worship the Lord, how to build the tabernacle, how to do those specific things. Exhortation, there were times when he had to be an uh, exhort the people and encourage them to continue on. Was he a natural at it? Was it his specific gift? I, I wouldn't think that that was his, his specific gift. You might think differently on that. What about giving? He could only give so much. He was one man. But he did give of his life to the people for 40 years. He led them in the wilderness. So what, uh, giving is not always a dollar amount. It's not always a material thing. Giving is of your time and service. I would think he did have the gift of giving. Leadership, no doubt about it. This is the one he argued with the Lord about. He said, you know what? They're not going to listen to me. And then God gave him the ability. He had trained him for 40 years as a shepherd to lead a flock to places that they need to go. Mercy. I would think he did have the gift of mercy because he went to the Lord several times. He said, you know what? Don't wipe them out. Give them one more chance. Give them an opportunity. Give them the opportunity to turn back to you. Hospitality. I, I really can't say for sure one way or another about that one. But that's just a little uh, character outline, a little profile, a little way of identifying a spiritual gift, whether you use it in someone else's life or in your own life. That's just a way if you quickly look at the attributes of a person, maybe identify their spiritual gift. So that's part of identifying and effectively using your spiritual gift is being able to point it out, to be able to spot it, and to be able to look at the different roles that are used in that area. So we're going to go back in the passage and we're going to look at point number four. Not only should your spiritual gift be applied sacrificially, not only should your spiritual gift be applied discreetly, not only should your spiritual gift, once it is identified, be applied as effectively as possible, but your spiritual gift should be applied faithfully. In that second half of verse 3, we read the first half of it just a moment ago. 
Paul says this, he says, but you are to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so to really put this in context, you need to think about who Paul is writing this letter to. He's writing it to a church. And now he is leaving it for us as a church, a body of believers, to read. And so each one of us here, God has dealt to you a certain measure of faith. And as he is giving you that certain measure of faith, when you know for sure what your spiritual gift is, when you live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, You take and you use what God has given you as faithfully as possible. Don't stop. God has dealt each a measure of faith. In this congregation, God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. In other words, every believer has their gift from God already. It's there. It's present. I truly believe that when a person is born again, that gift is implanted into them and it may not be recognized to them right away. That measure of faith has been placed into you at the moment of your conversion. Some of you have discovered your spiritual gift already. Some of you, that measure of faith is sitting there like a little seed that's just waiting to burst forth once you discover exactly what it is. That measure of faith is already there, but how you apply it is up to you. I can't force you to apply it. I can encourage you, hey, I I see this in you. We have a place over here where you can use it. Would you be willing to be that living sacrifice and take that measure of faith, that spiritual gift, and apply it in this scenario for us? When you discover your spiritual gift, it should then be performed in the most humble means possible, in the most effective means possible, and as faithfully as possible. Here's what I'm saying. As long as you are drawing breath, as long as there is a beat of your heart, as long as you have a pulse, there's an opportunity for you to serve. No matter how insignificant your spiritual gift may seem to you. No matter how feeble you think your efforts might be, God can and will use you in his kingdom building efforts. But it's up to you to take that measure of faith, that seed of faith and nurture it and apply it and use it. Discovering your spiritual gift all starts with that measure of faith. It all starts with knowing your position in God's kingdom and your stance and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first step in discovering your spiritual gift is this. You ask yourself, am I a child of God? Has he implanted in me that measure of faith? Am I the chicken or am I the pig? Which one am I? Can I be used by the Lord? Have I stepped out in faith in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Has God adopted you into his family? Does he know you personally? Do you know him? Either you've been born again 
or you haven't. Either you've been born again or you are still dead in your sins. If you're still dead in your sins, you have no possibility whatsoever of discovering what that spiritual gift is. And that measure of faith has not been applied or planted into your life yet. Either you're a friend of God and you're saying, God, I, I want to be that living sacrifice. I want to be holy and acceptable to you. Or you're an enemy of God. And say, God, I'm not going to give you anything. I'm not going to give you my life. I'm not going to trust you with my life and I'm not going to serve you with my life. But here's the thing about it. The choice is yours. He's not going to force you into it. He's never going to force his will upon your life. I'm going to speak to those who are already believers right now for just a moment. If you know for sure that you've been born again, if you know for sure that you have been adopted into God's family, if you know for sure that he has saved you, set you free, and washed you from your sins, there's something inside of you that God can use and wants to use. It's up to you to find out what it is. Here's the worst tragedy that could happen. Here's the worst possible thing that could happen to you as a believer. If, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, here's the biggest tragedy that could happen in your life. It's for you to discover what your living sacrifice is, what your spiritual gift is. Am I bringing the egg? Am I bringing the bacon? Have I been gifted as a teacher? Have I been gifted as an exhorter? Has I been gifted as a minister and a servant? The worst thing that could possibly happen is for you to discover exactly what God has gifted you with and throw it in the trash. Unfortunately, there are many Christians today who will live an entire life and never explore the opportunity to serve the Lord with their life. And unfortunately, there are many Christians today who will serve in a capacity that God has not gifted them for. That's the whole purpose of this study that we're going through right now. It's not only for you to live that abundant life by serving with the gifts and the talents that God has blessed you with, to find your place in the body of Christ, and to help us make a stronger body here at First Baptist Church. And hopefully throughout the world, our next move, where we're serving here in our community, we're finding ways to serve in our community. In the near future, we're going to be looking at expanding that, international missions, mission trips to other places. And as our body gets stronger, as this congregation gets stronger, as God starts opening up more doors, as God starts raising up more people, as God starts uh, showing people how to apply their spiritual gifts, we'll be moving in that direction. I don't know how soon or how far away it'll be. But my prayer now is that God will continue to raise up people to serve here and then for us to be able to go further out. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Say, so Brother Tracy, I, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. But I don't know for sure if I'm saved or not. We can take care of that too. 
We talked last week that God has given some the role of a teacher, some a preacher, some an evangelist. The specific role of telling others about how to be saved. I want to clarify something on that before I move on. While God has set some specific individuals to be evangelists, evangelism is the role of every believer. But God has called some people to serve full time in evangelistic ministries. But Jesus said, if you are my disciple, you will go and you will make disciples. You'll preach, you'll teach, and you'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, as you are going about your life, you are to tell others about me and what I've done for you. So the act of evangelism is everyone's responsibility. The role of an evangelist, he calls specific people into that. But if you're here today, you don't know for sure if you're a child of God or not. I want to walk you through that. I want to help you make that first step. I want you to to discover how you can have that measure of faith in your life. The Bible says that we're all born with a sin nature. All of sin and falling short of the glory of God. That sin separates us from God. It keeps us from hearing the word of God. It keeps us from hearing God's voice. It keeps us from having that relationship and that fellowship that we were created to have. If you're living in sin, if you're living in that separation, you'll never hear the voice of God. You'll never discover what your spiritual gift is. But God made a remedy for that. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're living in sin. You're separated from the Lord. You're on a pathway to destruction. In a place called hell. If you die with sin in your life. If you die with unconfessed sin in your life. If you've never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your destination has already been determined. But that's not what God created us for. God created us to have a relationship. And a fellowship with him. In a place called heaven. Jesus said I go to prepare a place for them. He said but it's only for those who will put their faith. Hope and their trust in me. So well, how do I make that happen? You've got to confess of your sin. And repent and turn from it. You've got to say God I know I'm going in the wrong direction. And I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to turn to you and confess my sins. And claim you as my Lord and my Savior. And follow you all the days of my life. I can't make you do it. No one here can make you do it. It's a decision that you have to make on your own. You say, well, Brother Tracy, that's a decision that I want to make today. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And that it's the blood of Jesus it cleanses us of all of our sins. Nothing else can. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No matter where you're at today, whether you're a Christian already, you want to discover your spiritual gift, you want to pursue a deeper relationship with Him. Maybe you have some issue in your life that you need to deal with. Maybe it's an issue with another believer. 
Maybe you just want to pray about finding and discovering your spiritual gift. These altars will be open here in just a moment. But specifically, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to speak to you for just a moment. What are you waiting for? Why do you keep putting it off? We're not promised another tomorrow. We're not promised another breath. We don't know when the end of our life will come. And there's no reason today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The Bible says today you're closer than you've ever been before. Why not make today that day? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can walk out of here today with that assurance of knowing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your Heavenly Father, and that heaven is your home when you pass away. And if you want to make that decision today, you just simply cry out to God. You say, God, I know that I've done something wrong. I know that I've sinned and I know that my life has fallen short of where it needs to be. And I don't want to live like that anymore. So God, to the best of my ability, I confess my sins to you and I ask you to save me. And he will. But that's only the beginning. That's only the first step in a much longer, much larger relationship. That's only the start of a lifelong process of God sanctifying you and growing you. Helping you to become more like Jesus. That's his overall goal. I want to be clear about one thing. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you so much, he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to look more like Jesus than anything else. But it all starts with you bowing down to him and submitting your life as that living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, and going down the path that he has chosen for you. Father God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, if there's anyone here that has any doubt about their salvation, Lord, your word says that we're to work it out with fear and trembling. I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they would get things squared away with you. I pray that their relationship would fall in order where you want it to be. I pray, Lord God, that you would remove all their pride and their callousness and their worry about what other people are going to think. I pray that they would humble themselves before you and cry out to you, Lord God, and that you would just miraculously save them. We turn this invitation time over to you, Lord God. I pray that people will respond as you lead them without hesitation, without any fear, without any worry about getting out of here as quickly as possible. But that we would just do business with you, our God and our Savior, so that we can have a stronger body. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. 
For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.